Good morning. Hope you all had a good uh, Thanksgiving and time to, I don't know if you got away or got with family or not. I know this year was a little bit different uh, as far as Thanksgiving, but I hope it was good no matter what you did and uh, you got to eat whatever you wanted to eat to be thankful for. But uh, we're going to get back into our series for a few weeks. Uh, uh, tell me the story of Jesus. You can see behind me where we'll be. We'll be in the Gospel of John chapter 4. Uh, many of y'all know that uh, I enjoy golf. Um, I can't say I'm any good at it. Tristan, you can probably say amen to that. But um, I got to play with several of y'all before, and um, I, I'm an unconventional golfer. Uh, I enjoy the game. I'm not good at it. I, I don't know if I'm bad, but I'm, you know, I just like getting out and doing it. Uh, unfortunately, this year, with the way things were, I only got to get out one time. And uh, so for you avid golfers, that's like a heart attack moment. But, um, you know, when you're not good at golf, uh, if you don't play very often, it actually can be beneficial to you um, because you can forget all the bad things that you've developed, all the habits you developed. You can forget them the next time you go out to play and you can just uh, hopefully get better and you don't have to compare yourself to anything else because you can say, well, you know, um, I'm not that good anyway. But for good golfers, you want to play consistently so you can remain good. And so when you go out with the pastor in golf, you can beat him on the scorecard because that's the goal, right? To beat the pastor. Um, I understand the, the game. I understand the, the approach you're supposed to have. And uh, I know not many of y'all golf, but so the, the game of golf is really simple. You get the ball in the hole. I mean, it's a lot like basketball, except you got a club and you swing this little ball and, and you want to keep the ball in the fairway. That's the shortest usual cut on the, on the hole. And and sometimes it's beneficial to keep it in the middle, but sometimes you may want to get it to the left or right of fairway, depending on where the green is and where the hole is placed. I'm not that good or that accurate that I can make that plan. Uh, my goal is to get it just down the green, down towards the green as far as I can, and hopefully it, it goes straight. But um, I'm not a straight hitter either, and, which makes me an unconventional golfer because I will hit it every single direction. I get many angles to look at the hole uh, so I can decide which uh, which shot I want to take to try to get on the green. And uh, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with being an unconventional golfer. I get more practice when I get to go golfing than some of you good golfers get to um, because I get more swings. And so I'm fine with that. Um, I'm also fine with it because we serve an unconventional God. And uh, he may not approve of my unconventional golf, but we definitely serve an unconventional God, which is what we're going to be looking at this morning in John chapter 4. We're going to be here for the next three weeks, counting this morning, as we see a very interesting interaction between Jesus and a Samaritan woman who have a conversation with one another as Jesus waits for his disciples to bring back food. This passage is directly connected to what happens in John chapter 3, which we looked at uh, earlier in the month and in the month of October, where Jesus was in Jerusalem and had another interesting conversation with a man by the name of Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee. These two events are so closely tied that many people like to compare the conversations between Jesus and Nicodemus and Jesus and this Samaritan woman. For example, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, he's a very prestigious religious leader. He's respected by his peers. He's theologically trained, and yet he has issues understanding what Jesus is trying to teach him and tell him. In John chapter 4, we have an outcast woman who has no influence among her own people. She is despised. She is unschooled. Nicodemus was a Jewish man. He was a Jewish ruler. The Samaritan woman was a moral outcast. 
But in the end of each conversation, they, they were supposed to come to the place where they understand that they both needed Jesus in their life, to which the Samaritan woman does and Nicodemus doesn't. The two stories seem unconventional. They, they seem like they shouldn't happen. It's not what we expected through these conversations. If we put it in today's format, we would expect someone who is well-versed in Scripture and well-trained in the Scripture to be able to accept what Jesus is telling them and teaching them. But that isn't what happened when we look at John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. Instead of the well-trained individual in the Scriptures, it's the one that's living opposed to God who comes to an understanding of her need for Jesus. And what happens through these two conversations is very interesting for us when it comes to understanding our unconventional God and the unconventional methods He wants us to use to share the gospel with people. So we're going to divide this into three weeks because there's a lot to unpack in John chapter 4. This morning we'll be in verses 1 through 15 if you have your Bible. And let's read through it. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John... Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Let's pray together. Father, I come before you as your humble servant. Thanking you for your forgiveness, your mercy, and your grace. Thank you for this opportunity to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ, to be in your word, to be in your presence, to sing praises to your name. And Lord, I pray in this moment that you be our shepherd and guide us through this passage. Teach us what we need to know. Begin working on our hearts even in this moment to allow your gospel to take root and begin to produce fruit. Lord, we, we thank you for the time we've been able to see family and friends. We thank you for the blessings you've given us, the abundance of food. We thank you for providing us a place where we can gather in your name. And Lord, I pray that you alone will be glorified in this time. That your kingdom come and will would be done in each and every life, including my own. Again, forgive us where we failed you. We pray us all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So again, the opening of this chapter ties to chapter 3 where there was this battle of baptism rites uh, that Jesus was going through. Jesus' ministry began to gain momentum. People were beginning to flock to him rather than going to see John, to which John's disciples were not very excited about. But what verse 1 of chapter 4 tells us is a couple things concerning Jesus' ministry. First, Jesus was making or gaining more disciples 
And Jesus was baptizing more disciples. Verse 2 of John chapter 4 is a narrative notation to which John the Apostle was led by the Spirit to give us, the reader, so we can give some further clarification on what exactly happened and what is going on. He does it again in verse 8 and again in verse 9, again, to give us, reader, clarity. It's a strange response, though, of Jesus, if you notice, that the Pharisees heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. And then you jump to verse 3, and he left Judea and departed for Galilee. How the Pharisees heard or learned about Jesus' ministry and people flocking him, we're not sure. It could have been through Nicodemus. Maybe after his conversation with Jesus in John 3, he goes and shares that with some of his peers. But that's probably unlikely because Nicodemus seems to be a guy who kind of stays uh, back and, and out of the way. He wants to almost be a secret follower of Christ. He's still investigating who this Jesus is. It most likely comes the same way the Pharisees heard about John's ministry as he was out in the wilderness baptizing and the people began flocking to him. You can read of that interaction in chapter 1, verse 19 through 28. But we know that the Pharisees came to inspect, investigate, and almost condemn John for what he was doing. They wanted to know the reason that he was doing what he was doing out on the Jordan River. And Jesus, because he is God and all-knowing, knows the Pharisees what the Pharisees are wanting to do with him. He knows what's festering in their hearts. He knows what the ultimate outcome is going to be. What we see, though, from these two verses is an unconventional response. It's apparent that Jesus wanted people to know, and as many people to know, who he was as the Messiah, the Son of God, the one had come to be the ultimate sacrifice for the sins. We know this throughout Jesus' ministry that he wanted people to know him. But we also know that as Jesus began to gain momentum in certain areas, he wouldn't set up camp even though his own disciples would like him to. Instead, he says, let's move on to another area for I must continue to preach the good news. But Jesus' response to the Pharisees hearing and most likely ultimately going to come out and see what he's doing isn't because Jesus is scared of the Pharisees. Again, look at his ministry. He proves he's not afraid of these people. But at this point in his ministry, we have to keep in mind, this is the very early stages of Jesus' ministry. He wasn't set on taking the Pharisees on in their theological debates. There was going to be a time to do that, but now wasn't the time. The language of verse 4 in chapter 4 implies that Jesus was willed by the Spirit to go on the northern trek to Galilee just as Jesus was willed or compelled by the Spirit to go into the wilderness to be tempted. But what we can learn about this unconventional response for our own life is there are certain people and there are certain situations, there are certain conversations and certain things that we should respond to by avoiding, which won't make much sense to the world. I think we can all commit there are certain people in our life who don't bring Jesus out of us. Would you be willing to admit that? There are certain people that it's very difficult when you're around them to be Christ-like and to bring God the glory by the way you interact with them or even the way you even think about them and perceive them. And some of y'all are thinking about them right now. You need to pray for those. You need to pray for your heart. But there are certain situations and circumstances and people and conversations that we as God's people need to avoid. And we need to have an unconventional response to those things. There are certain situations which we must, as God's people, set up boundaries so as not to create a stumbling block for others. Scripture does not tell us to avoid this world. 
It does not tell us to avoid the people of this world. You can look in the book of Acts and see how the apostles and Paul did this throughout their ministry. But there are times in our life which we must practice restraint. This is how Jesus is responding to the news of the Pharisees. Being God in the flesh, he knew what the Pharisees' intentions were. He knew how they responded to John. He knew what was festering in their heart and what they ultimately wanted to do to him. Because the greater ministry was at stake, Jesus knew he needed to respond by moving on. Sometimes we honor everyone, as we're commanded in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, by holding our tongue and perhaps removing ourselves from some situations. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. If we're honest, some of us have to avoid corrupt talk by avoiding the corrupt conversations. In verse 4, Jesus is compelled to go north to Galilee, which left him with two options on how to get there. For Jewish people, they would, they would either go around Samaria, which would take longer and take them into an area that was domesticated by Gentiles, or they would go through Samaria, which many Jews refused to do. Jesus had to go through Samaria because there was a divine appointment set for him at a well with a woman who was in desperate need of a Savior. And to understand the complexity of this interaction, Jesus was led to insert, or John was led to insert this notation in verse 9 that for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. I understand that we have to have a little biblical history. In the Old Testament, after King Solomon died, the nation of Israel split into two. You had the northern kingdom, which was known as Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was known as Judah. Or, yeah, Judah. In the north, they pronounced Samaria the capital of the north, where Jerusalem was in the south, and that was the capital. That was where the temple was. That's where the people of God were to come and worship Him and to give sacrifices. But in the north, they decided that they would build their own temple and that people would go there and worship God instead of going to the south. Now, before Jesus' ministry begins, both kingdoms, the north and the south, fell and the elite were taken into exile. As they came back, they rebuilt the temples, one in the north and one in the south. But the one in the north was destroyed a second time in the second century. But despite this, the people who lived in Samaria would not recognize the newly built temple in Jerusalem and would not worship there or even go there. Instead, they worshiped on Mount Gerizim, which is going to become part of this conversation we'll look at next week. So this is part of the problem. The other problem, which really drove the Jews' hatred toward the Samaritans, as the Samaritans began to repopulate the area, they began to intermarry with people who were not Jewish people. And so they were called half-breeds. They were not keeping to the covenant to which God called them to. They were not living out the Abrahamic covenant to which they were supposed to. And so this is what sets up this unconventional setting with Jesus and this Samaritan woman. Though Jews would have traveled through Samaria, they would have made a point not to stop. It would have been straight through. You know, there's parts in Springfield where you just don't want to get out of your car. That's what Samaria was to the Jewish people. You just don't stop. You go all the way through no matter how tired you are. The fact that Jesus sent his disciples into the Samaritan village to get food would also have been taboo amongst the Jewish people. So Jesus is having this teaching moment with his disciples. 
Sometimes God puts us in unconventional settings and situations because we need to learn and to grow in our love and trust for God. And we need to learn how to trust and love, or we need to learn how to love other people as we're commanded to. This last year at Trunk or Treat, I, I was set in my mind, and, and I've shared before that I'm a planner, so I had a plan in my mind. I was going to come, and we were going to set up. We were going to give out candy to kids. I was going to get to intermingle with, with families and parents and get to know people in the community a little bit more. Instead, what happened is because around town people were doing drive through trunk or treats, we were going to have a walk-through, and it started that way until cars started driving through. So we had to make an immediate change. Okay, we're a drive through now, because just for safety concerns. So I ended up, instead of intermingle, I ended up in the stand on the corner of our parking lot directing traffic. It's not what I had in mind. But as I'm out there on the corner and, and people are driving through, and I see all the people that are, are you all are ministering, and you're laughing, and you're, you're engaging with the people of the community, an individual pulls up in a car and parks right behind me. He almost, he almost hit me, by the way, but I, I let that slide. But he, he pulled in really quick, and I kind of wonder what he was doing because, you know, all the other cars were going through. And he gets out, and, and, and smoke fills the air from his car. And, and I look at him, and he, and he starts handing out business cards. And he hands me one. And then he starts going around and handing people business cards that are handing out candy and, and cars that are parked. And I wasn't too keen on that either. But what ended up happening is he came back to his car. We began getting into a conversation. And this, this individual wasn't, wouldn't have been an individual I probably would have sought out. Um, we probably wouldn't hang out. Um, his car reminded me of, of vehicles that, you know, of people who do things I don't do. Um, it had lights and loud music coming from it. That, and I like music, but, I mean, they had lights that I don't see the point of those lights. And um, his business was not something I, I would be a customer of. But he came back to the car and we began talking. He didn't know I was the pastor. He just thought I was, I was, I was the director of cars. You know, I was the parking attendant. And we started talking and this unconventional setting and gathering led us into a conversation about the authority of Scripture, about the inerrancy of God's Word, the perfection of it. We spoke about the deity of Christ, and I, over a course of an hour, I shared the gospel with this guy. And I asked him about where his relationship with God was, and he was kind of like Nicodemus was with Jesus. He, he listened, and he was asking questions, and he was engaged, but he never came to a decision about his relationship with God. Instead, he did what the Samaritan woman will do, as we'll see next week. He, he began changing the conversation. He floated it to to aliens and conspiracy theories and things like that. And, but it was very unconventional type of setting and not something I was preparing myself for. But God turned this evening of Trunk or Tree into a night where I got to share the gospel with someone. And someone who was definitely seeking and searching began to get answers to questions that he, his words, he hadn't been able to get from other pastors. And so we got to plant some seeds into his heart and it allowed the Spirit to work but sometimes God puts us in those uncomfortable situations. Sometimes he wrecks our plans and what we have on our agenda because he's moving us to these unconventional settings where we can be used for his glory. And so we have to be open to that. The setting for this interaction with Jesus happens in Samaria. And it's very ironic because you have the Jewish Messiah waiting at a well 
for an outcast Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman was not only outcast by Jewish standards, but even amongst her own outcast Samaritans. It was not a practice for people to go to the well in the middle of the day, which John tells us at the end of verse 6, this was the sixth hour. That means it was about noontime. This was the heat of the day. The typical time to draw water out of a well would be in the morning and the evening because once you got the water out, you had to carry it back to the village. And many believe this village is about a mile from this particular well. And so she's coming out to gather water, which normally women would do, but they would do in groups. But no woman comes with her. They must have done their task earlier. She's alone. She's desperate. It wouldn't be hard to understand why other women didn't associate with her. She had multiple relationships with men. I imagine the women of this village despised her. I imagine they looked at her as a threat to their own marriage. I imagine they saw her and all they could see is her immorality. It wasn't a secret. We can be sure the women who would come to the well would have come and known her lifestyle. They would have known that she was not accepted even among Samaritans and not accepted among Jews. But what do we find in John chapter 4? We find the Son of God knowing this woman's background, knowing her faults and her failures, and He comes to show her acceptance and love. We're told in verse 18, which we'll look at next week, that she has been with six men in a marital type relationship. This woman was hurting, and Jesus knew it. Perhaps Jesus sent his disciples away into the village because he knew they wouldn't be able to handle this conversation. They would want to interrupt it. They would want Jesus at this point to move on. This was an unconventional gathering between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Jews did not interact with Samaritans. And Jewish men definitely did not interact with Samaritan women. And Jewish men would not even talk to Jewish women about theological matters. Yet we find Jesus doing just that. He's breaking through these man-made traditions and these taboos to reveal God's love. As this woman is coming to the well, she is taken back when Jesus speaks to her. Her response in verse 9, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? See, she understands the custom of her days. She understands that this isn't normal. This is unconventional. This shouldn't be happening. It sounds like Jesus demands a drink in verse 7, but in fact, the pleas or the asking in the Greek is implied. Still, the woman is taken back. This conversation and interaction with this Jewish man, because she doesn't know who Jesus is yet. It's unconventional. She begins to ask him, and John makes sure, make sure we understand the situation in verse 9. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. We dealt with part of that. But what it also means is Jews do not eat with Samaritans. Jews do not eat off a Samaritan's plate. Jews do not share Samaritan things because there's a belief in the Jewish way of life that if they did such things, they would become unclean. To have no dealings means they would have no association with this group of people. Yet this, just, this conversation, Jesus is wanting to take this Samaritan woman who's been seeking for acceptance, seeking love and finding it in multiple men and wanting her to find the acceptance that only God can give her. He's wanting to move her from the physical element of water into the spiritual element of living water. 
He gives us a very important lesson with this woman. We cannot allow demographics, religious ties, political views, economic structures, opposing views, ethics, or even moral living to be a barrier for us in engaging people with the gospel. Jesus understood this woman was hurting, and he understood she needed a Savior. That's what she's ultimately searching for. She needed the living water, and Jesus wasn't going to allow taboo views of the Jewish people to build a wall so that this woman could, not, could find healing. And he didn't want her to find healing in the arms of another man, but find healing in the arms of the God who loves her. And isn't this what make God, makes God so unconventional? God loves us despite our baggage. God loves us despite our sin. God loves us even in our unwillingness to love him back. God seeks after us even when we don't seek after him but seek after other things. God draws us into himself, into the light, even when we want to cower into the darkness. The unconventional God is wanting to do this with all people and wants to reveal his power and glory through us. This is what makes God even more unconventional. He has given us his spirit to dwell inside of us that we might proclaim his glory to others. He is an unconventional God, and in this conversation, Jesus makes an unconventional conversation in verse 10 through 15. He's going to get to the point of this gathering. Did you notice that Jesus doesn't even bother with this woman's shock and her and he approaching her and starting the conversation? He doesn't even bother with that. He gets straight to the point. But what he does is he uses the medium of water to take this conversation to a spiritual conversation. The gift of God in verse 10, Jesus refers to as eternal life that can only be found through him. We can know that because of what Jesus said in John chapter 3. Jesus tells this woman, if you knew who I was and who you were talking to, the request for a drink would not be from me to you, but rather from you to me. And by the woman's response, we can tell that she's still stuck on the physical, a lot like what Nicodemus was when Jesus was trying to teach him about being born again and about the wind. See, when we engage in spiritual conversations, which we're all called to do, we have to realize that we're engaging with people that this is a foreign language to them. We're engaging with people who, who don't think about eternal matters the way we have. We're engaging with people who have never sat down to think about God and the love of God and Jesus Christ or the meaning of Christmas. And this is why Jesus, in his ministry, would use analogies and mediums to get people from a physical place to a spiritual place. He does it with wind, water, flowers, storms, farming, and foundations. He would take a physical element Use that element as the medium in the conversation to get to the point of what he really wanted to talk about. In the midst of it, like this conversation, we have to be patient and understand we're leading people to a place they didn't know they needed to go. That's what this woman is. She didn't know what she needed to really have, but Jesus was going to make sure she understood it. The woman thinks Jesus is speaking of physical water when he refers to living water. She probably thinks she's, he's even speaking about this well because that phrase living water for this woman would have been understood as an underground spring to which this well was fed by. The term living water to the woman would have been understood as an active water, not a stagnant water, a water that was moving. And she looks at Jesus and sees that he does not have the tools. He doesn't have the rope and it's a deep well. He doesn't have the bucket to draw it out. And yet he offers her water 
And so her comment in verse 12 is one of disgust. She isn't an idiot, but she's stuck on the material or the physical. And her question could be read, you're not greater than our father Jacob. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. Jacob would later become Israel. He would have 12 sons and two grandsons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. This woman has a claim to her Jewish ancestry, but by her descendant, by her descent of the last patriarch in the Old Testament. But her spiritual thirst is causing her to seek out places to quench her soul that will never quench it. And Jesus is trying to get her to see her need for living water so she can escape the desire to drink from a polluted, stagnant water that is her sinful life. He tells her the water that he can give will make it so she will never be thirsty again. And the water he gives, verse 14, will become in him a fresh spring of water welling up to eternal life. And that's how he hooks her. See, at this moment in the conversation, Jesus has finally got this woman to realize this guy has something I need. She doesn't quite understand the depth of it. She doesn't quite understand who she's talking to. But once he says that I can give you living water that will make you never thirst again, that's something I need. That means I don't have to come out to this well every day by myself in the heat of the day. That means I can stay home and I can hide in my house and not be ridiculed and scorned by people I live with. That means I can take one less thing out of my life that is an inconvenience. See, through this unconventional conversation, Jesus has finally gotten the woman to understand that he has something no one else can give her, and she needs it. This woman needed to change her desires, not just from men, but from temporal pleasures. And Jesus is trying to take her to a place where she can commit herself to God so that he, God, can give her the desires of her heart. In conversations with people, we need to make them unconventional. We may start by talking about sports, the weather, politics. Did anybody talk about politics over Thanksgiving? Mm. We, we started, and then my brother, my, uh, Rob, my brother, uh, reminded us that we needed to get it all out before his oldest son showed up because uh, my nephew, Wesley, likes to debate. Uh, he doesn't matter if, if he's debating something he doesn't even believe in. He just likes to debate. And so we had to get all of our politic conversation out before he arrived um, but maybe we talk about the pandemic. Whatever we talk about, if we take a lesson from Jesus, we take his example, we use sports, we use the weather, we use politics, we use this pandemic, we use our kids, we use school, our work, and we use that as the medium to take the conversation to a deeper spiritual need. And that's going to make the conversation become awkward. But look here in John chapter 4. This conversation was awkward. It was unconventional. A Jewish male and a Samaritan woman meet at a well and talk about water that's not really water. The holy of holies, the one without blemish, meets with an outcast, sin-filled woman and have a theological conversation. A desire for water, but really a desire for a deeper need. As God's people, we have to be willing to become unconventional, to become awkward, and to become uncomfortable so others can understand their deepest need is not of this world, but is only found in Jesus Christ. We're going to end here 
at that point. We'll pick it up next week. This woman is yet to come to understand the truth that Jesus is driving to her. Spoiler alert, she will. And then she'll take the message to her village. But perhaps we can relate to this woman. Perhaps we've been looking for things of this world, even relationships like she was, to give fulfillment in our life. The truth Jesus wanted her to understand and wants us to understand today is nothing can bring fulfillment in our life except a relationship with God that is only found in Jesus Christ. You may have come here for some other reason. Maybe someone drug you here. Maybe someone invited you here. Maybe you came because you wanted to see somebody. But like Jesus did with this woman at the well, God has set this time up as a time for you to hear about his love for you and the greatest gift he has to give you. Jesus came because God sent him to die for our sins, to die for this woman's sins on the cross to take our punishment, what we deserved. And he died on that cross and they placed him in the tomb. But he rose three days later and the Bible says anyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We believe in his death and his payment. We believe in his resurrection and his power. And we believe that he did that for us because he loves us. It doesn't matter our baggage. We place our faith in Christ alone. So the Bible tells us to admit that we are a sinner before God, to believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for our sins and rose again, and to confess that with our mouth. And the Bible says we will be saved. You may be here this morning, and that's what you need to do this morning, to find fulfillment in Christ alone. But maybe you're here, and this year has been kind of weird. Maybe you're here and you've been searching for other things to give you fulfillment. They won't quench your soul. You'll be just like this woman. We're going to come to time of invitation. If you need to accept Jesus Christ, I'm going to invite you to come down. If you need to come and kneel before the Father, I'm going to invite you to come. Nick's going to come and lead us. Bridget, you coming with him? All right, you think about it. Um, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you, Lord, that you are unconventional, that you save sinners like us. Thank you for your love that doesn't make sense, your faithfulness, your grace, and your mercy. Lord, thank you that you came seeking us and drawing us to yourself. Father, as we head out into the world today and later this week, Lord, use us as your instruments that others may meet you and find the living water. Again, thank you for this day. Thank you for what's going to happen because of your word. And praise all in the name of Jesus. Amen.